0: Today on Fit Fun and Frazzled, my guest is Dr. Jerica Sweetnich. We talk about ketogenics diet, hormone health, and fasting. Jerica grew up in a suburb outside of Cleveland, Ohio. After receiving her bachelor's degree in biology from Heidelberg University in Tiffin, Ohio, she received her Doctor of Naturopathic Medicine degree from National University of Health Science in Chicago. She has also obtained her Certified Nutrition Specialist Professional Certification. She focuses on finding the root cause of disease utilizing a personalized and holistic viewpoint. She is an expert in botanical medicine as well as nutritional therapies. She also holds certifications in personalized hormone restoration therapy, IV nutritional therapy, and the prolonged Fasting Mimicking Diet, also known as FMD. Her passion for health is displayed in her lifestyle, and she care, that and the care she offers. I hope you enjoy this episode. We will get started right after a word from my sponsor, Anchor. Have Jerica Sweetnich with us. Hi,
1: Jerica. How are you doing? I'm good, Nikki. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for coming on thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about these these uh, topics today. Yeah, I
0: first met you, I think it was two years ago. Um, I was doing a yoga detox for mind, body, and soul. And Lisa had you over. And I remember when you came, the week you came, just everything. I didn't even I knew about hormones, but not that much. And then you introduced me to intermittent fasting also. So
1: thank you for that.
0: (laughs) Yes, of course. Good topic to know about. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your journey?
1: Sure. So I'm a naturopathic physician. um, And I kind of got into naturopathic medicine when I was in college. I was a pre med major, biology with a chemistry minor. Um, on the pre-med track I met, and I just remember thinking there's something about traditional medicine that just doesn't resonate with me, um, and so I, I just kind of searched and searched and searched, and that's when I found naturopathic medicine, and naturopathic medicine means to focus on the root cause of disease, um, and so as I was in naturopathic medical school, I actually got diagnosed with something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I think we're going to talk about today. Yeah, (laughs) And um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more, but in short, when I was given the diagnosis, I was given it over about a five to 10 minute conversation. And it was, here's your birth control. If you ever decide you want to have kids, you might have fertility issues. And she sent me out the door and I was 24. So I remember thinking, wait a minute, you know, there's this life-changing diagnosis that I was just given. There's really no good treatment for it. And I just felt so lost and I was angry. And so I really dug into the subject. I looked into naturopathic ways of treating PCOS and long story short, short, I was able to reverse it. I have two kids. I've got one that I'm cooking right now. Um, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, my, my, um, what I'm looking for here, my drive to do what I do now became even stronger as I went through that. So mm-hmm. I'm also a certified nutrition specialist. I do have a bioidentical hormone um, certification. I've been IV certified, all kinds of little certifications to add along the way. And most pertinent to today, probably I do have a um, certification in the prolonged fasting mimicking diet. So in our practice, I primarily see women, although I do see men for hormonal issues as well. Um, We treat gut issues, excuse me, um, and, you know, everything that kind of goes along with those things.
0: Yeah. Well, since you um, just touched on the polycystic ovarian um, disorder, let's start there. Because I was also, when I was younger, diagnosed with that. And the same thing, the doctor really didn't tell me anything, Um, you know, like do hormones. And I also have endometriosis. and. I remember at the time I just started dating my husband, and I was told I probably couldn't have kids. And I was like, right. "Oh, great! I just started dating this guy. I really like him." But guess yeah. what? I probably can't have kids. But I have two daughters right now, also. So, yeah. But um, what exactly is polycystic ovarian disorder, and mm-hmm. what, what what causes sure. this?
1: Sure. So PCOS is a hormonal disorder. Um, We're not really sure what the cause is. We do think that there might be a genetic component to it. Um, We're just, that's kind of unclear right now, but in Mm -hmm. order to get diagnosed with PCOS, you have to have two out of the three of the following criteria. So cysts on your ovaries, abnormal periods, And then um, hertuism, which means that you have um, high androgen. So either on a blood test, like high testosterone, high DHEA, or just symptomatic for it, meaning you have dark hairs in areas that we don't want dark hairs, things like that. So two out of the three. So again, although the name is polycystic ovarian syndrome, you don't necessarily have to have cysts on your ovaries to get the diagnosis. Um, But it can lead to diabetes is one of the squali that... We often see with it, it can lead to heart disease. There's this whole slew of issues. And of course, like we mentioned, it can lead to infertility. So in traditional medicine, what they do is they put you on birth control to and I'm using quotations here to balance your hormones, which again, we can get into that. It doesn't actually balance your hormones, right? Um, but they put you on birth control. And then like, you know, I was saying earlier, they told me that if I ever wanted to have kids, you can do fertility treatments. So from a functional medicine perspective, we say, wait a minute, no, like let's actually focus on balancing the hormones. So what birth control does is birth control let me take a step back. The way that our hormones work is there's this whole communication pathway between our brain and our ovaries. So there's a couple of hormones that get released from our brain, they talk with our ovaries and they talk with the developing egg, and they get released um, at different amounts during different times of our cycle because there's different things that happens all throughout our cycle, right? And so what birth control does is when you take birth control, you're taking synthetic hormones. So oftentimes it shuts down the release of those hormones from the brain. So you're shutting down your communication pathway and therefore you're not really making your hormones anymore because you're taking them in. So it's more of a band aid. It definitely doesn't actually balance your hormones. So again, from a naturopathic medicine or functional medicine standpoint, we say, well, let's actually work on balancing the hormones. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the most common things that we see with PCOS is either high stress as the root cause and, or blood sugar issues. So again, look, talking about the physiology of it, what happens in PCOS is you have this huge production of testosterone, which can throw off ovulation. It can throw off your estrogen and progesterone production, all of these things. And when we have blood sugar issues, meaning if our blood sugar is bouncing up and down throughout the day, or if it's just chronically high throughout the day, that causes another hormone called insulin to be high. Now, insulin is kind of like the taxi for blood sugar in our body. It's supposed to take our blood sugar into the cell where it gets converted into energy. But if we have too much of that insulin, insulin is also a signaling molecule. So it does a number of other things in the body. And one of the things that it does is it triggers testosterone production in our ovaries. So again, if we're working on testosterone, we have to look at blood sugar and make sure that our blood sugar is balanced out. So that's a big one right there. The other root cause that we often see for PCOS is high stress. One -hmm. of the things that stress does is it triggers our stress hormone, one of our stress hormones, cortisol, which is made in our adrenal glands and your adrenal glands also make another hormone called DHEA and DHEA can convert into testosterone. So it's really about digging and finding out what is the root cause. Um, and then just kind of working on solving those issues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there, um, just ways to help like a different kind of diet or lifestyle
1: changes? Absolutely. This might be a good little segue into the ketogenic (laughs) diet. Yeah. Um, so when we're working on blood sugar issues and, you know, there's a number of different ways, everybody's body reacts differently. So some people can manage their blood sugar and have a nice balanced blood sugar with still eating a good amount of carbs. Um, I know that me, my, me personally, and a lot of what I see in my patients is that we just don't tolerate carbs. Well, if you have PCOS, again, I'm kind mm-hmm. of painting with a broad brush here, but that's just what I typically see. So if you do a lower carbohydrate diet, when you think about it, carbs break down into sugar, right? So if you're reducing the amount of carbs that you have in your diet, you're not going to have those spikes in blood sugar, which means you're not going to have the spikes in insulin, which means you're not going to be making as much testosterone. So that is, I don't want to say that's my go-to diet. Again, it's very individualized and personalized, but that's one of the main diets that I see that works very well for women with PCOS and fasting. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well,
0: then let's go into keto. What exactly is keto? (laughs)
1: Sure. So the ketogenic diet by definition is a high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate diet. So it was actually discovered back in the 1920s. There was a group of epileptic patients and epilepsy means that you have seizures, right? Mm-hmm. And they were in a, um, I can't remember if it's a, if it was a research study or if it, they were being hospitalized, but the overseeing physician, what he noticed is that their seizures lessened when they were in a fasted state. So he said, oh, well, wow. what? yeah. So he said, well, what happens when you're fasting? Well, when you're fasting, you're not eating any food, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a non-fasted state, in the presence of food, most people are eating carbs. So again, carbs break down to sugar. Our body primarily uses that sugar as an energy source. So when we're fasting and we don't have that that energy source, our body says, Whoa, we've got to figure out something else. And that's when it turns to using, instead of using sugar for fuel, we burn fat for fuel. Mm -hmm. So it was really the, the definition or the name ketosis, the state of ketosis was actually defined back then by those physicians. So again, when you do the ketogenic diet, you're eating such a small amount of carbs, your body says, we've got to find a different alternative fuel source. And so what it does is it starts to utilize fat for fuel instead of sugar. Now, Uh, The true ketogenic diet is actually about 90% fat, very little amount of protein, very little amount of carb. What most people are doing today when they say they're doing the ketogenic diet is more of like a 60 to 70% fat, and then about a 10 to 20% protein and about a five to 10% carb. So it's a little less strict, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but the overall goal for a ketogenic diet would still be in to get, to get into that true physiological state of ketosis. Okay.
0: What is the difference between keto and paleo then? because paleo yeah. is kind of similar, right? Or kind of it has similar. grains and stuff. You're allowed, right? Right, right. Yeah.
1: So I, I see, this is why I almost hate calling the ketogenic diet a diet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, although it is a diet, there's nothing else out there that's going to induce a physiological change like being in the state of ketosis. So with the ketogenic diet, again, you're, you're trying to get your body to change the, to change its energy source with paleo. You're not doing that at all. Paleo Mm -hmm. is more of a style of eating. So with paleo, you're taking out grains. I think you're taking, I'm not, I think you're taking out beans. You're, you're taking out things that Um, when we look at our ancestors, we think that our ancestors didn't eat these things. So it's more of a high protein diet. So a Mm -hmm. lot of, um, animal meat, a lot of, um, things like that. And then a lot of vegetables too. So with the ketogenic diet, you do have to watch certain vegetables because certain vegetables are higher in carbs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
0: I'm, um, vegan. I don't eat any animal um, protein and mm-hmm. I have tried it the one time I tried it and I, I did like 10 days um, but since then it's like hard for me I, I feel like I'm craving more carbs and I can't get past the three days <laughs> but I so badly want to reevaluate everything and do it
1: mm-hmm.
0: properly like have my list do my grocery shopping sure and go from there
1: are you talking <laughs> about you tried the ketogenic diet or paleo yes
0: Keto, keto, yeah, okay. yes, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: You definitely it, it. I always tell people it's really about your goal. So mm-hmm. the ketogenic diet does have research behind it for a number of different conditions. Um, for diabetes, there's actually a whole um, center. It's called Verta Health. They're in Arizona, and all they do is keto with diabetic patients. And they're able to get patients off a lot of their medications they can sometimes get them off insulin um so there is research for that there's also research for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease um obesity and metabolic syndrome uh, epilepsy like we had mentioned earlier so if you have those conditions that's when i would say you might want to actually really target and try to get into that state of ketosis Which you can measure through doing blood samples sometimes urine samples and breath samples as well um but for if you're not in that like you know a lot of people will do keto to try to lose weight i always say you don't necessarily have to do keto you don't have to be in the state of ketosis sometimes just lowering carbs is enough to do that so meaning Mm -hmm. you can still eat a high amount of protein and just lower your carbs so I usually recommend for most people just start with a low carb diet. Don't worry about getting into the key, ketosis or anything like that. Okay. And then seeing how you do, and you can always adjust from there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about
0: fasting then. And this is, I hear so many of my friends and my kids are in cheer and cheer moms. Yeah. It seems like everyone's doing intermittent fasting now. Yeah. Um, seems very popular. So what
1: is fasting and what are the different
0: types of fasting?
1: Sure, sure. So the definition of fasting in general is just to go without food, right? Mm-hmm. So if fasting is kind of an umbrella term, so we can, there's all different types of fast. So like you said, there's intermittent fasting. The definition of intermittent fasting would be to go without food and have about a 30% within a certain time frame. And have about a 30% reduction in calories while doing it, okay? So most people will do what's called a 16-8 intermittent fast. So they're fasting for 16 hours a day. They're eating within about an eight-hour time frame. So if you think about it, if you're eating within an eight-hour time frame, let's say you're eating between 12, so noon and 8 p.m., mm-hmm. you're probably naturally going to cut those calories. You don't even have to right. think about it, Right. Now right. there's also a different type of fasting called time restricted feeding and time restricted feeding simply means just to eat within a certain time frame. So there's no okay. caloric adjustment for that. And that an example of that would being a, be doing like a 12, 12 schedule. So you fast for 12 hours a day, you eat within a 12 hour timeframe. Now it's my opinion that that's just how we should be eating in general. Like you shouldn't have to try to do that. Right. Right. But you think about our society today we have 24 hour fast food. We've got movies that start at 10 PM and Mm -hmm. we don't eat dinner until 9 PM. So our society is so much different than what it was in the past. And I think that that's kind of why we, that this is such a novel idea for so many people when in reality, it's what our bodies should just naturally be doing, especially that time-restricted feeding.
0: Right.
1: Um, but going back to the intermittent fasting, that's exactly, you're totally right. That's, you know, I see so many people do it. Um, and I'm happy because there are a, definitely a lot of benefits to it. But for women, and especially women who are still cycling, meaning mm-hmm. premenopausal, still getting your period, there definitely can be a right way and a wrong way to do that.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I was going to ask, um, cause I've heard that before men and women should be fasting
1: differently. Right, right. So it's all about the caloric intake. Okay. So meaning how many calories are you getting in? So it, as women, we need to be, we need to have calories. If we are constantly in a caloric deficit, meaning we're burning more calories than we're taking in, that's going to affect our hormones. So think about it from an evolutionary perspective. If we don't have enough calories coming in, our body says we don't have enough food, we shouldn't be making a baby. And the whole point in us having a cycle is to ovulate or to release an egg, right? right. So if we're not, if we're constantly in that caloric um, deficit <clears throat> by fasting every single day, you can absolutely end up with hormonal abnormalities. So again, this is just kind of one of my general recommendations and it's mm-hmm. definitely personalized or I personalize it patient to patient, but I usually recommend that women who are still cycling, who are getting their period do a, if you want to do a 16, eight intermittent fast, do it every other day and alternate it with a twelve-twelve time restricted feeding. And then Definitely. that way you're probably getting in a little bit more calories when you're doing the 12, 12 schedule. Cause you have a wider feeding window, right? Yeah. So then that way we don't have to worry about that chronic caloric deficit.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I,
1: last week I
0: asked um, my fit, fun and frazzled, um, podcast listeners. I mentioned you were coming on if anyone okay. had, um, questions.
1: Mm-hmm. So we did
0: have some listeners that had questions. Um, one of them is how does our nutrition needs change as we age and hormones change?
1: That is such a good question. Okay. So let's start by tackling how our hormones change and then we can go into why we might need to adjust our diet. Okay. So as we age, I think one of the the biggest changes obviously is menopause, right? Mm-hmm. So, what perimenopause is that? That is, by definition, your your periods start to get longer, and then they can get shorter. What's happening is you're starting to run out of eggs. So, as women, we're born with as many eggs as we have. So, as you age, your eggs start to age, right? Mm-hmm. And remember how we talked about how hormones worked a couple of minutes ago? We said there's a communication pathway between our brain and our ovaries and our eggs. And so as we navigate through perimenopause, when we're running out of eggs, those eggs are, they're, they're older eggs. So sometimes they don't respond to the, those, um, those hormones from our brain. So right. that's why, as you go through perimenopause, sometimes your symptoms can be all over the place. You might get two periods in a row and then no periods for four or five months. It's because that communication between the brain and those eggs, because they're older is grown yeah. is off. Right. Yeah. So then, what postmenopause is is you have no more eggs left. So once you go an entire year without a period, you're defined as postmenopausal. So mm-hmm. you're either perimenopausal or postmenopausal. That's it. Yeah. Um, and when you go when you're postmenopausal, you don't have any eggs left, and it was the eggs that was producing the majority of your your female hormones. And there's two main ones. There's estrogen and progesterone. So, what happens in when you're postmenopausal is those adrenal glands, which I had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Remember that hormone DHEA, how I said it can convert into testosterone. It can also yes. convert into estrogen. And then down the line through the hormone cascade, you can get a little progesterone production, but it's nowhere near what you were making before. Yeah. So you have this huge hormonal change. Now, how that relates to diet is again, as you're navigating through that time where you're having swings in your hormones and then eventually these hormone levels drop off, your insulin, remember that hormone that we talked about? Insulin's the taxi for blood sugar, right? So what happens is when insulin has some blood sugar with it, it goes to a cell and the cell has to open the door and let that insulin in, taking that glucose or that sugar in, which then it'll get converted into energy. Mm-hmm. As you're navigating through perimenopause and often postmenopause as well, what happens is those cells, they they just kind of say, you know what, we don't want you insulin. We're not gonna let you in right now. So it becomes what we refer to as insulin resistant. So you're okay. not your cells aren't as insulin sensitive. So again, with a lot of my postmenopausal women, I say, Hey, let's try maybe just reducing your carbs. We don't have to go full blow keto. Yeah. Don't have to, you don't even have to do full blow low carb, but just reducing them, just really focusing on getting good sources of protein. Um, because that's another major thing that I see, especially in my perimenopausal and postmenopausal women is they are not getting enough protein in and you have to have enough protein for a number of different reasons. But one of them is you want as much muscle mass as possible. Mm-hmm. Your muscles protect your bones. We have to worry about osteoporosis at that time because of that big drop in estrogen. There's a lot of different things. So um, that would be, you know, really focusing on what 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 does your carbohydrate intake look like and how much protein are you getting in? Those are the two most concerning things for me as I see women in that time period. Yeah.
0: Um, so another question, someone asked, um, asked, what are the signs and symptoms of hormone imbalance?
1: Good question. (laughs) So I, this is something I'm really passionate about because as women, we tend to, we almost bond over period problems, right? Right. Everybody has had that day where they had to call off work or they didn't go to a date or dinner Mm -hmm. or whatever, because your your period was terrible. Right. We've almost, because we've talked about it so much, which is great, but it's almost become that we've normalized it and Mm -hmm. having those symptoms is not normal. So heavy periods where you're changing your pad, tampon, cup, whatever it is, every hour or two hours, that's not normal. Having very large clots, not normal. Having PMS symptoms, so mood swings to the point where it's affecting your work or it's affecting your home life, not normal. Um, you know, having sleep abnormalities for a week or two, any symptom that's that's starting a week or two weeks prior to your period is not normal. Now, if that happens once, you have one really bad cycle, that's okay, that's completely normal. But if mm-hmm. this is your normal month after month after month, that is abnormal. Yeah. And there are definitely things that you can do besides birth control to actually fix the problem.
0: Yeah. I just had the older, I I never had PMS before. And now the older I get, I'm, I'm emotional and sad now before I start. I'm like,
1: oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Well, remember that goes back to those eggs, right? Those Mm -hmm. Eggs. And I I hate to use the word aging, but yeah. They are right. Uh huh. Right. And so if you don't have, if your eggs aren't of great quality, that can affect your hormone production.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if you're not making the proper amount of hormones that can put you in a hormonal imbalance. And that's when you can start to get those symptoms.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, another question is when should we start to look into hormone therapy?
1: That's a wonderful question. So bioidentical hormone therapy, like I said, we do it often at our clinic. Um, it's not for everybody. You know, we go through risks, benefits, things like that, but usually we start to really talk about it in women who are perimenopausal. Um, so again, when you're having all those big hormone fluctuations, sometimes that can really help to get you through that time mm-hmm. and then postmenopausal as well. So there, there are certain guidelines that we go by, but those are usually the two, the two times, you know, if you're really struggling through perimenopause or if you're postmenopausal and you just don't feel like yourself, that's when I would say you should probably have a conversation about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we have one more question and it's,
0: keto. I'm so sorry. My that's phone okay. will stay up. Like, <laughs> a good thing. This isn't going to be a video and it's only going to be that's sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to hold it now. Sure. <laughs> um, so does keto affect your cholesterol?
1: oh, this is a wonderful question. So keto, I'm sorry. Well, I'm getting, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes and no. So there was, um, I'm really happy that this question was asked. So again, it's a personalized thing. Everybody's body reacts differently. Now there's been some research showing that yes, it does raise LDL, um, but you see reductions in other things. So one of the things that I see across the board in my patients is that inflammation drops. And that's a really important point because inflammation specifically within the cardiovascular system is the driving factor for heart disease. So it's the whole reason why cholesterol goes into your arteries in the first place is to repair the damage from inflammation. So we see that drop. Um, now there was a rec- recent, study that I just posted about on my, um, on my Instagram and Facebook page, it was published in the journal. Oh, it's escaping me what journal it was. It was a very, very traditional journal though. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it because I don't remember exactly which one it was, but what they did was they followed type two diabetic patients over two years that were following a ketogenic diet. And these people were actually in that state of ketosis that I was talking about. They were measuring it. And what they found was that after two years, and they compared them to people that were just doing a traditional diet. Yeah. What they found was that after two years, there were actual reductions in the super bad type of cholesterol. So wow. everybody knows LDL and HDL, right? Right. So LDL is bad, HDL is good. You can actually take LDL and break it down further. So you have these small LDL particles and these large LDL particles. Now, the American, um, oh, I can't remember if it was the American Journal of Cardiology or I'm pretty, or yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the American Journal of Cardiology. They just recently published a paper and said that small LDL molecule is the most atherogenic molecule, meaning that is the worst type of cholesterol. That's the one that you definitely don't want high. Okay. And so what this study that followed the diabetic patients for two years showed is that that small LDL after two years was actually reduced in the ketogenic diet, significantly. Reduced. Wow, that's good. Right, yeah. right. Inflammation was reduced. Now total cholesterol had gone up, but while that small LDL went down, we saw an increase in that large LDL and those large LDL molecules because of their size are thought to be rather harmless. So that accounted for the raise in total cholesterol. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think that there definitely needs to be more research, but what I advise all my patients is, do you have to track? I don't care mm-hmm. what diet it is you're doing, because that's another question I often get asked is it's so confusing. How do I figure out what diet's right for me? Well, you have to look at what your symptoms are. If you have any conditions, things like that, you know, pick a diet that there's been some research for and start with it. And then look at your numbers. So you want to track how you're feeling, but you also want to track your blood work. You want to look at your cholesterol, your inflammation, your blood sugar, what's going on there. And then that's really how you can decipher what diet's best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly, how can people get in touch with you? Sure. So I and am, work with you. <laughs> yes. So I am on social media. So my Instagram handle is at J um, and then Facebook, I'm Facebook.com slash Dr. Sweetnich. Um, I'm a provider at Revitalize Med. So our website is www.revitalizemed.com. Um, and those are the, the major ways to get a hold of me. Yeah. And I'll leave
0: all of this in the show notes too, so people can um, reach out and work with you and get a hold of you. Perfect. And thank you so much for coming on. And I would love to have you on again in the future and talk about other
1: nutrition yeah. things and everything that would be great thank you for having me thank you for coming
0: thank you for tuning in to this week's episode if you liked it please share it leave a review a comment a rating and i will leave in the show notes where you can find jerica her instagram handle and her website